0: Welcome back, unfuckers, subfuckers, Uncanuckers, Eurofuckers, and our insane band of renegade down-under fuckers. The last couple of weeks have been pretty amazing. We welcomed a ton of new listeners from all over the world, from our friends at Pitchfork Economics, who heard our praise of their show and returned the favor to us. We hit the top 10 in Indonesia, so that happened. And as always, we continue to welcome listeners from our dear friends at Best of the Left. And some are even discovering us through their podcast apps. So if you're new here, welcome. If you're an original unfucker, FMF, FRR, and FRM, all hail Nettie, all hail out of Gammy County. On the news front, since we've done a couple of more newsy-type features recently, as you know, handsome Gavin, or as my buddy Dan calls him, American psycho lookalike Gavin Newsom handily carried the California recall. Clearly, the California unfuckers put this over the top. Mm, Did they, though? And up yonder in America's attic, Pretty JT is knee-deep in a shitshow of his own making. My man decided to call an election in Canada thinking they were in a good position to steal even more seats, and, well, here's a clip from the campaign trail with Trudeau. Conservative opposition candidate Eric O'Toole is gaining momentum and even stealing progressive thunder with labor initiatives from NDP leader Jagmeet Singh. It's getting nuts up north. And if you, like me, are an ignorant American, I invite you to check out our Oh Canada episode for a quick American style look at Canadian politics where we get mostly everything right. Mostly. We've got book love and pod love for show notes today and some sub love as well as there are a couple of sub stackers that I wanted to direct your attention to but more on that later. Now before we dig into this massive topic today I wanted to do a little housekeeping and I'll start by thanking everyone who reached out to share their 9-11 episode feedback and stories. It's clear that that episode meant as much to you as it did to us and we hope we honored it properly. There's so much cool stuff happening on the show right now because of the dedication and support of our listeners, far surpassing our expectations and driving us to keep going and bringing the heat week after week. And one of the most inspiring developments is how many of you have taken out memberships on buymeacoffee.com UNFTR. 99 is going to review some tier benefits and show notes today that we've added, so tune in for those. The deal for the newbies is that we're determined not to gate any content, so we rely on two caffeinated ways to fund this show. The first is through our partnership with native coffee traders from the Puspatuk Reservation in New York. In fact, later in the week, we'll be releasing a bonus episode, an interview with the chief of the Unkachog people, Harry Wallace, and head roaster, Amy Wallace, to discuss native issues and our partnership. See, we've partnered with them to create three special unfucking blends that support our show and indigenous economic development with every purchase. The reviews on this organic, fair trade, native roasted coffee have been universally positive, so we can't thank our partners on Puspatuk enough, and I can't wait for you to meet them. The other way is to buy us coffee at buymeacoffee.com UNFTR, where you can give a one-time donation when the spirit moves you, or become a monthly member to set it and forget it. It's like a Patreon kind of deal, but catchier because it ties into our coffee theme. All of this is explained on our website, unftr.com, lovingly built and curated by the great 99. Now, we're approaching this episode with the clear understanding that there is consensus on climate change, the causes of it, and the disaster that awaits if we fail to aggressively pursue radical mitigation strategies. So don't expect any posturing or debating about the veracity of climate change science. I wouldn't patronize our audience with such nonsense. What we're going to do instead is walk through how our understanding of climate change has morphed and grown over the years, most notably through the lens of a rather dispassionate observer, the United States military. This is the story of a political pundit who looked at the world around him and just said, fuck it.
1: Gives the middle finger to authority and says, kiss my ass. But instead of a revolution, he started a podcast. Just what the
0: world needs. a Another basic white guy who, started a but it's fun because he curses. On the fucking the Republic. Fucking in our 9/11 episode last week, we talked about what ifs. What if the Supreme Court decided in favor of Al Gore and he was president on 9/11? Would the self-proclaimed environmental president have taken revenge for 9-11 without involving us in two multi-trillion dollar wars for the next 20 years? And would he have had the backing and gusto to pour Pentagon dollars into battling climate change? There are literally hundreds of potential narratives one could track with respect to climate change. Food insecurity, fossil fuels, water scarcity, rising sea levels, violent storms, hunger, mass migration, potential causes, political battles, and so on. Inevitably, we'll touch on many of these narratives, and I'm confident that this will be the first of many episodes in the coming years that we'll do on climate and environmentalism. But today, we're going to take a narrow approach to the story as told by our military. You might be surprised, as I was, that one of the leading researchers and chroniclers of the effects of climate change is indeed the Department of Defense. This might seem like a curious approach for a show that routinely takes our military to task, though more so the politicians and private companies that direct its resources. But in the end, I think, I hope, this approach makes sense. We've already established some building blocks, as you know we like to do. Early on, we did three episodes that serve as primers for this. Priorities, War, Wealth, and Welfare. The Violent States of America. And Freeze, it's the Military. All three touched on various aspects of our increasingly militarized nation from domestic law enforcement to foreign entanglements. And each one pulled on common budgetary threads. Now, more recently, we talked again about the sheer size of our military budget in our Afghanistan episode and last week again in our 9-11 show. So to set the table, I want to start with an important passage from one of our book love resources today. It's from a book called All Hell Breaking Loose, The Pentagon's Perspective on Climate Change by Michael Clare. We have a few great resources that we'll put in our bookshop.org store this week. But anyway, here's the passage. I think it sets things up pretty nicely. America's military officials are clear about what they see as their primary professional obligation, to defend this nation against its most dangerous adversaries, notably Russia, China, Iran, and North Korea. A future in which the military service's ability to perform this role is compromised by climate-related contingencies at home and abroad is not, therefore, one that senior officers can contemplate with ease. Rather, they view warming as a serious threat to the successful fulfillment of their primary responsibilities and so as something that must be resisted. Fighting against global warming is not, for most of them, a question of ideological preference or political engagement. Rather, it is a matter of ensuring that the armed forces will be spared the most extreme climate contingencies imaginable and so remain able to concentrate on Russia, China, and others at the core of their mission." Now this passage alone inspires me to dismantle so many things in the supposition of who our real enemies are, but that's for another day. The point to take from this is just what it says, that the military is clear-eyed about the fact that global warming will have myriad catastrophic effects that will make its job more difficult and even more dangerous in the future. So that's our jumping off point and perspective on our journey today. Americans apparently have a great distrust of both the government and science. That's a pretty shitty combination if we need the government to combat climate change based upon evidence from the scientific community. But Americans sure do love their military. And somewhat unironically, this is especially true among those who have the greatest distrust for government and science. You know who you are. But you know who the military trusts and respects? Scientists! I want to read a passage from a naval report. At the end, I'll give you an interesting factoid. Here we go. Several island nations are in jeopardy of being submerged completely. In the United States, significant portions of territory would be subject to inundation. In summary, nearly every aspect of the world's political, cultural, and economic interests will be affected. Basic human needs, such as water supply and quality, food production, and health conditions are threatened within the developing nations. In some of these nations, such as Egypt, India, and Bangladesh, major segments of the populations and significant portions of their agricultural capacities exist in low-lying areas or along river basins. As the climate changes, sea level rise may well inundate these areas with salt water, producing major damage to the economies, health, and quality of life in nations ill-equipped to face the challenge. In some low-lying coastal nations, large segments of populations may become environmental refugees stressing neighboring nations' resources and goodwill by their forced migration to safer ground. In the United States, the necessary adaptive measures for response to the environmental threat will be tremendously taxing. Society at all levels will be affected. Climate modification may force alterations in agricultural methods and crop distribution and threaten water supply and quality, safe regional waste management, urban infrastructure, the viability of commerce and industry in many regions, and stress the energy supply of the nation. Addressing global climate change issues and effects within the United States will be both politically uncomfortable as well as terribly expensive. Whew, that's some shit right there right from the mouth of the military. The report also details what advantages, yes, advantages, come from rising sea levels and the significant loss of ice shields for submarine activity, for example. They suggest closing a vast number of current military installations around the globe and propose spending a minimum of $100 billion per year on just naval infrastructure needs for the next 30 years, in addition to support from private enterprise. So this is a report issued by the Naval War College, revealed in 2013 by Freedom of Information requests. And it's pretty dire, even though it only examined the effects of climate change from the perspective of the Navy. Wait, if we have this memo from a 2013 FOIA request, when was the report written? (laughs) Oh, Manny, you always know the right questions to ask. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's in the script right here. It says... Wait, if we have this memo... <laughs> oh, you, you're such a kidder. There's no script. This is all just, you know, top of my head. Anyway, in answer to your very perceptive and extremely well-crafted question, this report is from 1990. 1990. 31 years ago. In 1990, the Navy knew New Orleans would be underwater someday and recommended abandoning its base there. It knew that many island nations would disappear. And it knew that the societal effects would be calamitous and the politics highly charged. And while we're on the Navy, I want to bring in some information via sublove for another subfucker who's been making the rounds on the pod and talk circuit. Adam Tooze, a respected economics professor and prolific author who publishes chart book on Substack. Give him a follow on fuckers and tell him that Max sent you. Recently, he put out a piece that asks some of the same shit that we've been talking about. Like, where the fuck is all of this defense money going? Well, dig this. As Tews wrote in a recent newsletter, quote, In December 2020, Secretary Esper took the unusual step of releasing a detailed new shipbuilding plan, Battle Force 2045, that called for 403 crewed ships and 143 uncrewed ships by fiscal year 2045. The heavy focus on attack submarines signals aggressive maritime intent, end quote. So he goes on to quote a stunned CBO that did the math and projected that the Navy could spend in excess of $1 trillion on shipbuilding in the next 30 years. Some of this should be chalked up to spend it or lose it. Every big company, organization, or government is the same. Save money this year and they'll cut your budget next year, so better get spending. But there's more to the Navy's request than just spend it or lose it. Theirs is a specific plan based upon increasingly clear realities. Plus, if there's no congressional effort to minimize military spending, then fuck it, why the hell not? As Claire notes in All Hell Breaking Loose, the military, and Navy in particular, have been operating under a rather stunning new reality. As polar ice disappears, this area is opening up to oil and natural gas extraction as well as to increased commercial shipping activity climate change has, in fact, created a, quote, new ocean that must now be protected against oil spills, illegal commerce, and geopolitical contention. A new ocean. A new fucking ocean. A new fucking ocean. Let's stay there for a second. Fossil fuel companies and militaries are literally jumping for joy at the prospect of uncharted waters, even if access to them is only because the fucking polar ice cap is disappearing. Well, we tried that approach. You didn't want to hear about the science when it could have made a difference. The only possible upside to this is that scientists are finding prehistoric fossils. So it's only a matter of time before some jackass clones the dinosaurs and we go full Jurassic. And they just eat all of the people. Because fuck us! A new ocean. Of course, we're not the only ones hip to this reality. Russia has committed a significant amount of new military resources in the Arctic region to protect its interests. So you know that we're not just going to let that happen. Oh, and Canada also has a say in what goes on in the new ocean as well. And for Americans who think that's like taking your little sister to a fight, think again. You do not want to get between the Canadians and oil. But here's the deal. The reason the Navy is building tons of new submarines is because these unmanned vessels have enough firepower to take out an aircraft carrier. And navigating surface waters is gonna continue to change in the coming years. So the vessels we currently utilize aren't necessarily equipped to go the distance with mother nature anymore. So we're building more resilient crafts above and below the water and will require new installations around the world to contend with changing sea patterns. This much is for sure and cover their ears if you're listening with your children. Unfuckers, I do believe that Santa Claus is fucked.
1: Uh, Things are all fucked up at the North Pole. See, Mrs. Santa caught me fucking her sister, and uh, I'm out on my ass now.
0: The Navy isn't the only one concerned about coastal installations or fighting new maritime battles for dwindling planetary resources. The Pentagon published National Security and the Threat of Climate Change in 2007 under Bush. In it, they asserted the coming decades would include extreme weather events, drought, flooding, sea level rise, retreating glaciers, habitat shifts, and the increased spread of life-threatening diseases. The following year, the CIA released a report titled National Security Implications of Global Climate Change to 2030, in which they predicted intra- and interstate conflict particularly over access to increasingly scarce water resources. The Department of Defense in 2014 under Obama authored the Department of Defense 2014 Climate Change Adaptation Roadmap, stating, quote, climate change will affect the Department of Defense's ability to defend the nation and poses immediate risks to U.S. national security, end quote. Even the Trump administration DOD released updated versions of prior reports, though it was forced to exclude direct references to human impact on climate. The military's interpretation of climate change is as cold and cynical as one might expect, and it's part of what I appreciate about this approach. The absence of emotion makes it almost more terrifying and the fact that they're conditioned to boil everything down to the most basic and stupid terms imaginable for sitting members of Congress means that their information is pretty accessible. One concept they regularly explore when modeling scenarios for the future is something called a threat multiplier. It's never a singular event that spooks them. It's a confluence. For example, the nexus of food-water scarcity will cause an increase in food prices in an already high-demand environment to feed an ever-growing global population, add existing poverty, unstable government systems, and extreme weather events that disrupt global supply chains and wreak havoc on infrastructure, and it totals mass migration, uprisings, and violence. So when the military talks about threat multipliers, it's considering these related events in totality. They don't speak in fantastical terms of, oh, global warming will kill us all. They draw logical and logistical conclusions from prior experience, current events, and abundant data sets. And apart from dialing back the man-made claims during the Trump years, they really don't prevaricate. And they don't make it political either, all of which makes it strange that one half of the country refuses to believe in science, especially when that same half is so unabashedly pro-military. I don't want to spend too much time on this aspect of it, but I did want to reach out to a really good friend of the show, Fucker Carlson, and have an honest dialogue about this. Given all that's happening with wildfires, storms, and volatile weather events, can we have a human conversation about this? Fucker, thanks for coming on. Talk to me, brother. Let's talk wildfires, heat waves, and climate change.
1: It is awful. And it continues as we speak right now, walls of flame consuming everything in their path, homes, thousands and thousands, untold numbers of animals. And of course, as we said, human beings too. Right? Man, thank you for acknowledging this, fucker. It is tragedy on a massive scale. When something this terrible happens, decent people pause. They put their own interests aside for a moment. They consider how they can help.
0: I couldn't agree more. How can we help? Haven't we pulled together as a nation before?
1: We've seen that kind of selflessness before in this country. This is, remember, the anniversary of 9-11. But there are others for whom altruism is an unknown concept. Self-interest is all they know. These people do not pause. They never do. They relentlessly press forward for any advantage under any circumstances.
0: Yeah, it's sad. Animals and humans dying. And yet we're at each other's throats and just thinking about me, me, me.
1: They see human suffering as a means to increase their personal power. These are the people who turn funerals into political rallies and feel no shame for doing it. Oh,
0: God. I didn't know people were turning funerals into rallies of some kind. What the actual fuck, fucker?
1: As Americans burned to death, people like this swung into action immediately. They went on television with a partisan talking point. Climate change, they said, caused these fires.
0: Oh, oh, those people. Well, I mean, I I guess you have a point. They didn't cause the fires, but were increasingly in danger because of extended dry periods, heat waves, and droughts, right?
1: They didn't explain how exactly that happened. How did climate change do that? They didn't tell us, but they just kept saying.
0: Right. Well, again, I, I, I guess you have a point. I think the message getting lost here is that climate change is creating the environment and circumstances that increase the severity and frequency of things like wildfires, Right.
1: In the hands of Democratic politicians, climate change is like systemic racism in the sky. You can't see it, but rest assured it's everywhere and it's deadly.
0: Oh. oh, I see what's happening. You're like, you think this is like calling out systemic racism, which you also believe doesn't exist, and that it's only Democrats. Is that where we're at?
1: And like systemic racism, it is your fault. The American middle class did it. They caused climate change. They ate too many hamburgers, they drove too many SUVs, they had too many children. A lot of them wear T-shirts to work and didn't finish college, and that causes climate change too. Bro, seriously, what the fuck is even happening right now? And if there's anything that absolutely, definitively causes climate change, and literally over 100% of scientists agree with this established fact, it is voting for Donald Trump. You might as well start a tire fire in your yard.
0: Uh, okay, okay, you're being sarcastic. I see what you're doing here. Tire, fire, Donald Trump, college, racism, SUVs, hamburgers, children. <laughs> you sly dog. So, it's not just foreign threats. With the Russians potentially stealing oil from the New Ocean, submarine warfare is suddenly back in fashion. Personally, I'm looking forward to the reboot of The Hunt for Red October. stations.
2: Battle stations,
0: battle stations, battle stations. So threat multipliers, manufacturing extreme crises abroad will lead to mass migrations and instability. Here at home, the military's dance card is already filling up pretty quickly. Recall that just a few years ago, in the span of just a few short weeks, Harvey, Irma and Maria smashed US territories from Houston to Puerto Rico with the military being scrambled to all corners for rescue and recovery missions. If not for the brave military personnel and personal paper towel heroics of Donald Trump, things could have been much, much worse. But the military is designed to get in and get out. Unless we're overthrowing a nation, then we might stay for 20 years. Point being, the United States military is the world's first responder when it comes to devastating climate events. The enormous resources it takes to scramble several thousand personnel, along with the equipment and supplies needed to save lives and stabilize infrastructure, is massive. And apart from the visible rescue missions such as these, there are very real, ongoing and immediate concerns that will upend significant parts of our economy, like the rapidly depleting Colorado River. The Colorado River Basin is considered a lifeline to seven western states, providing water to 40 million people and 4 million acres of farmland. Researchers say it's lost almost 13 trillion gallons of underground water in less than a decade. The bottom line here is that the river is drying up, the source is receding, and there's no putting that genie back in the bottle, so things have to change.
2: A little pod love on this one. Check out the recent episode of Slate's What Next TBD with Lizzie O'Leary, titled Can This River Be Saved? They do an excellent job of breaking down the impact of climate change on this important water source.
0: Thank you, 99. As a companion to this, we'll also put a link in show notes to a New York Times article about the Colorado River as well. You know, there are more than potential costs of inaction. Every year, we'll need to put more and more aside to deal with the fallout of weather events, and that's just here in the United States. Across the world, the situation is even more dire, something that plays into our conclusion a bit later. As is customary on UNFTR, we should talk a little about the economics of climate change, because the kind of economic fallout that we're facing has a lot to do with the potential threat our military is modeling. The most recent IPCC report, this is the UN-commissioned International Panel on Climate Change, caught even some environmentalists and close observers off guard because it spoke some hard truths about aspects of climate change that are already beyond repair and how others are a full decade ahead of where scientists originally calculated. We'll rattle off some key findings of the report before tying it all together. So, based on the current trajectory and assuming the Paris Accord goals will not be met, the largest economic impact that they foresee is the loss of 18% global GDP by 2050. Now, for context, on fuckers, the revised estimates for 2020, the global pandemic where nearly every nation in the world halted and supply chains were severed, is a 4.5% drop in global GDP. Within two generations, the IPCC estimates the impact will be four times this, The impact of the loss will be widespread as well. According to the report, the range of negative impact is most severe in Asian countries, losing anywhere between 5.5% and 26.5% GDP by 2050. China in particular is at risk of losing nearly 24% of its GDP in a severe scenario compared to forecast losses of 10% for the U.S., Canada, and the U.K., and 11% for Europe. Now, politicians often talk about not having the money to battle climate change to the degree that scientists warn is necessary, and we're living through this right now with fucking Joe Manchin cock-blocking our boy Bernie on a reconciliation bill that, as we call it, pitot Twiu which is pissing in the ocean to warm it up. But at least it's a start. Now, the flip side of the coin is often ignored. According to the World Economic Forum, the risk of inaction in financial terms could be up to $1.7 trillion per year globally by the middle of this decade, escalating to, get this, $30 trillion a year by 2075. And this is all according to estimates by 738 economists surveyed from around the world. So yeah, doing nothing is deadly and expensive. Doing something is less deadly and probably less expensive. So let's talk about how the military's role is evolving both in terms of mitigation and response, but there's actually some good news to point to here. Claire astutely points out in his book something that is tantamount, in my opinion, to understanding the military's take on climate change as a whole. The military is built to respond to existing, perceived, and potential threats. And so it models real-world scenarios built on available proof and evidence and anticipates responses that will produce a positive outcome in terms of national security and our common defense. It's not built to mitigate. It's not a diplomatic or policy-driven institution. That's the role of the government. Now, that being said, a shift began to occur under Obama, but driven by the Pentagon. While the military doesn't always see itself as a policy driver outside of its own stated purpose and interests, it has come around to the fact that it has historically been an enormous user of fossil fuels and source of emissions. So to the extent that it can control its contribution to man-made climate change, which make no mistake, it believes human activity in the post-industrial era has significantly contributed to climate change, then it can reduce its contribution. Furthermore, it believes that in doing so, it's also building a stronger and more resilient army that no longer relies on costly and inefficient mechanisms of energy production. Again, here's Claire. Quote, By the end of fiscal year 2015, the most recent year for which comprehensive data is available, the Pentagon could report substantial progress in the achievement of its goals. All told, energy intensity at stateside DOD installations had fallen by 20% over 2003 levels, while the energy supplied by renewables had been increased by 12.4%. As a result of these and other efforts, net greenhouse gas emissions by the DOD has been reduced by 12% of 2003 levels, a decline much greater than that achieved by many other large organizations and the nation as a whole. End quote. So let me be clear about saying there's some good news to report. This is sort of like saying, hey, the school bully hasn't beaten me up in months when he's really just been in the gym taking steroids and getting ready to pummel you in new creative ways. What the military's new goals demonstrate is that large scale changes in behavior are possible with the right funding and direction. Now, here's where the cynic in me obviously comes out. At the end of the 9-11 episode, I suggested and teased that the reason there's no willingness to cut the military budget from the current post-engagement and obscene levels is because it hasn't just been preparing to fight skirmishes in the desert. It's possible that behind it all, military leaders and policymakers collectively recognize that these engagements have also provided cover for a buildup against the greatest existential threat of human existence, but in a very selfish way. That yes, maybe we're preparing to defend the homeland and natural resources in a new ocean and a new frontier. That maybe we're preparing to meet the challenges of mass humanitarian exodus from island nations in the Caribbean. That maybe we're preparing for more frequent and consequential extreme weather events domestically. And we're preparing for the eventual global economic crisis that will precipitate the collapse of underdeveloped and politically unstable nations in Africa and the Middle East. And that maybe we're preparing to defend precious and dwindling water resources that will force mass migration and starve millions. Our dollars are already being poured into these efforts to prepare for this future that is considered increasingly inevitable by scientists, military leaders, and policymakers, even the ones that don't believe in the human impact of climate change. And whether they truly don't believe in it, or they're just pandering to constituents who've been brainwashed into believing that there's no scientific evidence or consensus that this is true, no longer really matters. What matters is that we have buy-in from the branch of our country that kind of runs shit nowadays. So how do we as progressives deal with this information? Continue to wring our hands on social media and carry signs at rallies and wear protect your mother shirts? Or borrow a page from the right-wing fuckheads that got us into this mess and unite with the common interests of the military? Personally, I'm going to opt for the latter in the interest of time that we have left. And I don't mean time left on this podcast. I mean as a species These military reports demonstrate something very clearly that they knew and they know it's coming. But the reason they're prepared for the inevitable isn't because we're trying to turn back the tide of climate change and save the planet. It's because they know that we'll do better in the climate apocalypse than most other nations by virtue of our extremely diverse and resource rich landmass. The Machiavellian bottom line here is that we're going to be fine. That's why they don't care. That's why they're preparing a future to protect our installations abroad while fighting to protect the homeland from mass migration. They're fucked. We're not. That's what these reports say loud and clear. And so, of course, there's no political will to battle for the future of the planet. Because when it's over, we're going to inherit what's left. That's the dirty little secret they've been operating under for the past 30 years. We're going to be the last man standing in this fight against climate change. It's true. We can withstand a 10% decline in GDP, but China can't withstand a 25% decline. We can afford to lose the Caribbean islands, but Asia can't afford to lose Bangladesh and Vietnam and large swaths of the Chinese coastal regions. We can withstand internal migration from Nevada, Texas, and California, but several Middle Eastern and African countries won't be as fortunate. And by the way, if you're on the Jersey Shore, you're not welcome in New York. Anyway, the world is going to transition from fossil fuels because forced scarcity through policy changes and difficulty extracting natural gas and oil from increasingly difficult environments will push prices through the roof and further collapse demand. This will cripple the economy of Russia and Equatorial Guinea and Venezuela and Iran and so on. But fuck 'em. By then, we'll be on our way to a renewable future in the United States. Sure, mass migration will place an enormous strain on Europe because of its location, <laughs> that's not our problem. We'll turn away your boats and your planes. We won't need to build walls because that was always stupid. Instead, we'll use technology and surveillance to further militarize any border crossings. So this is the hand that we've got. A military that is virtually unopposed in its request for $750 billion per year and growing. A country of people who, at this moment at least, have no interest in going back to war with anyone anytime soon. Several really smart politicians in the Progressive Caucus that understand the imminent threat of climate change, and several insanely dimwitted politicians who only know how to wave a flag and claim that they support the troops. This is our hand. So let's play it. Let's support the troops. Let's keep the funding in place. In fact, have more. Have as much as you want. And we'll take your reports and the science you rely on at face value. Let's close as many of our extraneous coastal military bases in danger of flooding around the world. And while we're at it, let's support those troops by bringing them home and set them to work in a domestic military corps of sorts that is designed to shore up the homeland. A military that harnesses the power of the fucking sun to demonstrate its lasting and overwhelming strength. Bernie and company are so busy looking for ways to convince coal-sucking dick nuggets like Joe Manchin that the planet is worth saving. Well, fuck them. Fuck all of them. The way to get this done is to partner with the military and use their funding and their science and their technology and their people and the public support and sheer force of will that they have to help us craft the future that we need. These are literally all of the ingredients necessary Funding, science, technology, people, public support, sheer force of will, all of this, these are the ingredients. And the long bet that we have no choice to make is that our military-style response will spark the competitive nature in the Chinese, Africans, Europeans, and Russians to beat us to the punch. If we sell this as a dire matter of national security or some fucking moon-landing exercise, hopefully they'll do the same. Don't pose it as a threat to the planet— Just let everyone know that they're fucked and we're not, and we don't care. And if you try to come here when the world falls apart, we're not going to let you in. That we're willing to let them all burn, drown, and starve. See, we don't need a Green New Deal. We already have one. We've just been playing the wrong hand. Strange bedfellows indeed. The Earth has all the time in the world. We don't. Here endeth the lesson.
1: The show notes, calling out listeners one by
2: one. Show no and thank yous, it's so much fun.
0: Hey, ninety nine. Hello, Max. Welcome back.
2: Thank you. It's nice to see you. You as well.
0: Appreciate it. I'm going to kick things off to introduce the subject of membership by reading something from Simon B. Now, Simon B. is a serial on Fokker. We love Simon. Uh, And he just wrote to us. I'm so happy you have a membership scheme because I would be so unreliable ad hoc. FRM, FBJ, which is Brexit, and most of all, fuck Mountain Friedman. So Simon just took out a membership, and Simon doesn't even know all of the great, cool membership features that you're going to be introducing at this very moment. So why don't you tell Simon and all of our guests about it and let them know what's behind door number one.
2: <laughs> sure. So Simon became a Buy Me A Coffee member, which you can do at buymeacoffee.com slash UNFTR. Okay. And what that is, is a recurring donation that goes to funding the show and our, our work and our coffee habits and...
0: What's that, like Patreon?
2: It's like a Patreon, but a little different.
0: That's so cool, but it has coffee in the title. It does. That's so neat.
2: Yeah, I think it's it gives people a better idea of where the money's going. I like it. Because we... Pretty much do just buy coffee with it.
0: So, does this mean that you can get access to gated content behind here 99? No,
2: nope. Why? Because we don't gate any of our content. How come? Because we want all of our information to be free.
0: That's a really good policy.
2: I think it is too.
0: Why don't you tell them what they're going to get?
2: Okay, I will. So, we have the first tier, which is an unfucking pro, and that's $5 a month. And for a $5 a month level, you get what?
0: I'm fucking curious. God damn it. <laughs> I wrote the wrong thing.
2: Stupid idiot. <laughs> on a roll I had my show voice on has to go up like three octaves I'm like I'm like Elizabeth Holmes
0: no you're not
2: (laughs) that was ew (laughs) ew that's so scary
0: Elizabeth Holmes I don't know
2: why is she British I don't know (laughs) uh okay <laughs> um all right so at the five dollar level we call that unfucking curious and for that you get a sticker and a shout out in show notes
0: that's so nice
2: i know and at the 15 dollar level we have unfucking committed and with that you get a sticker a shout out in show notes and a coffee bag of your choosing
0: what a co- one of the the native roasted coffee like the real coffee yep holy cow
2: yeah and the next tier is a $25 a month. It's called Unfucking Pro. And what with do they that, get for that? You get every month, we're gonna have a sponsored by at the top. And if you are an unfucking pro, you get your name in there.
0: That's crazy. Yeah,
2: so if, if Simon B, I don't recall his membership at the top of my head, but if he was an unfucking pro, we would say this episode is sponsored by Simon B.
0: Or whatever he wants to call himself. Yeah, maybe right? he
2: wants to call himself, I don't know, Simba. All right. That's the first thing that came into my head. <laughs> That's
0: fine too. Okay. Why don't you tell us what the next level is?
2: Well, I didn't finish. That's not the only thing they get as an but unfucking But wait, there's pro. more. But wait, there's more. You get an unfucking sampler, which is all three of our coffee bags.
0: Get the unfuck out of here.
2: Nope, I won't. I refuse to leave.
0: That's cray cray.
2: I know. I don't. I won't call it cray cray, but you did make me say it out loud. And then finally, this is a brand new tier. All of the the rewards are new. This is a a new tier in and of itself. Mm. So we're having a $50 a month level.
0: That's ridiculous. You'd have to be insane to do that. And that is why
2: we're calling it unfucking insane And with that, you get sponsored by on every single episode. So every single episode, we could say, this episode is sponsored by Simba. And they get a a sampler and a t-shirt.
0: And they get all that gated content?
2: No gated content. Because? There is none.
0: Oh, that's right, too.
2: Yeah. Everything's here for you.
0: So what they're really doing is they're getting some great benefits. For sure. But they're also doing this selflessly for all of the other unfuckers out there. Yeah. That's pretty cool, 99. It is cool. You know what the funniest part about this is? Well, it's not funny. It's, it's awe-inspiring. Is it cray-cray? And maybe a little cray-cray. That we already have... Several members at these tiers. And you know what we offered before? Why don't you tell them what the difference in the <laughs> membership... What did, what, what did 5, 15, and 25 used to get you before you introduced these tiers?
2: Just our love.
0: That, I mean, nothing. Yeah. You get nothing. You get nothing. But now you get something in addition to our love.
2: Yeah. And a note wow. on the t-shirts. We did, we did have a... Uh, a submission about them today, someone asking about
0: mm-hmm.
2: it. Um, so we don't have the t-shirts right now because we decided to pivot into a different direction. So the initial run of t-shirts we did, which were the Navy uh, Unfucking the Republic in white logo on the front and Fuck Milton Friedman on the back. We're retiring them. We're hanging the jersey up. But fear not
0: That makes them like A collector's item though, Yeah right? They're
2: the, the first version They're you know Our blood sweat and tears Went into the production And
0: But wait, wait, wait. We sold out of those right
2: We did There might I, I don't want to say There could be like Three in the shop still
0: Are you serious Yeah So if they go to the shop Right now Somebody could theoretically Just buy all the The rest of these These I mean Iconic Yeah Collectors items
2: They, they could And they will That's crazy I'm declaring it okay. I'm manifesting it That's oh. a trendy thing People right. talk about but what we're gonna do is we're gonna launch a few designs and we're gonna let the unfuckers vote on them.
0: I think that's brilliant. I love yeah. bringing the unfuckers into it. Like yeah. we had them vote on the governors.
2: Exactly. I mean, they're gonna wear the shirt. I mean, I'm gonna wear the shirt too, but they're gonna wear it. They should have a say in it.
0: That's great. This is a democracy. Well,
2: wow. not a cheerocracy. That's a bring it on reference.
0: <laughs> and that's a movie?
2: Yes. I've tried to get you to watch
0: it. Don't roll your eyes at me. I
2: will, because you should have seen it. I don't care if it was in your dark ears.
0: It was in my dark ears. <laughs> yeah, but I know it was.
2: It's classic cinema. I don't believe it. It was Kirsten Dunst's finest role.
0: Have they done it on the Rewatchables?
2: I don't know. Do I look like a basic white man?
0: Oh my god, here you go again. I'm not a I am a basic white
2: guy. It's in the song.
0: I love the rewatchables, I don't care. It's
2: in the theme song.
0: Of the rewatchables? Of our of our show. Then I'm a basic white guy.
2: Yeah, you can't deny it at this
0: point. There's no denying yeah. it. Yeah.
2: Wear it on your sleeve.
0: Okay. Well, let me tell you something Queena S bought three coffees and said This podcast is pure gold And Ricky bought three coffees And said, I learned about y'all from Pitchfork Hey, welcome over from Pitchfork IMGT bought three coffees Lara E, God, I love Lara E She's just the best, bought three coffees No comment, she just sending money Justin T became a member Holy cow, found us from Best of the Left Thanks for coming over, Justin T Our uh, Our good friend And our love bookstore, Kim, bought five coffees I can't help but buy you coffee, your family now, plus the honesty, I mean, really. Alex T. bought five coffees. Hey, you beautiful fucking unfuckers team. Some love from Alex T. in Australia. Dan M. bought three coffees, heard about us through Pitchfork Economics, said he's honestly not disappointed in the least. How I wish this was taught in government class and schools. Love to you and your excellent producer, Manny of Defaces, And uh, fuck our beloved cock nugget, shit-stained Milton Friedman. Good lord. Peace Slippery. Oh, we love Peace Slippery here. Couldn't be more proud to support the content that these people produce. Peace Slippery is now an official member of the show. Thank you Peace Slippery. And Scott L, holy fuck. Bought 20 coffees. Love you guys to death apparently. Good lord. It's a lot of dough, Scott. Thank you for that. Honestly, sincerely, that is just uh way above and beyond. Thank you. We got some love on Facebook from Don R said love this podcast. We're funny, knowledgeable, and righteously angry. Nathan E. was responding to us questioning whether peanut butter pie is a thing and just imagined uh, that it's just a giant peanut butter cup. Well, apparently, actually, a couple people reached out about that one and they're like, are you serious? What's wrong with you two? What is wrong with us? Mm, I don't know. Zach, Zach R., amazing episode, insightful look at an issue that runs way deeper than just the last 20 years. Thank you for that, Zach. Nettie. Uh, said, a friend whom I shared the pod stopped by to give Nettie a hug. We should all give Nettie a virtual hug. She is our, our the source of our inspiration here. Laughs out loud every time Max mentions my name and Outagami County. Well, then you got a few of those in here. There you go. Oh, and his name is Alex. Hey, Alex, you are the lucky one because you get to hug Nettie. Someday we will, too. Jeff S, thank you, Max, for making a connection I haven't been able to make for some reason. The U.S. military industrial complex gearing up to ensure it is victorious in the impending climate wars. Because, of course, it fucking is. Uh, And Lonnie, also really, really just taking us to task over the peanut butter pie, said, peanut butter pie is a balls And then said, thank you for covering the 70s 9-11 with grace and accuracy. So on Twitter, Gypsy in America said, this is a podcast that you may enjoy and uh, shouted us out. Cat White Day said, I appreciate your ability to bring me to the point of such a raw place emotionally, then bring it back around with how we can intelligently process and have discussions. That's the goal. Thank you for stating it. And uh, thank you for the appreciation. And Lane Darlin said, great episode regarding the 9-11 episode. Darren Slow Motion. Wow. This is very, very cool. Darren writes for the Faye Observer and uh, actually put together uh, an op-ed about this show. Uh, So we're going to link it in show notes for everybody to go see. Darren, wow, just thank you, thank you, thank you for doing that and uh, for bringing us to your audience. That's uh, that's pretty significant. On Instagram, there wasn't a whole lot going on, but we see you, too bad too, who sent us a heart. It's adorable. So now back to Simon B. Simon B. It's Simba, right? Yeah. It's the same person? Yep. Uh, so we also got an email from Simon B. Back to uh, Simon B. Simba. Simba. Simon, that's now your name. <laughs> Officially, it's Simba. Uh, said, hey, you beautiful fuckers." and greetings from the latest White Star Line iceberg heading post-Brexit hellscape known as the U.K., And he made a comment about our Fuck Manny Faces and Fuck 99 sketch that Manny Faces so uh, brilliantly and expertly put into one of the end of the shows. Carl B. said, loving the show and hard work from you and your crew. And Betsy S. said, was determined to stay away from the 9-11 episode. I dig that. I get that. Um, And ultimately took the leap, was extremely impressed by the episode. We're spot on. Thank you. Uh, Betsy has highly recommended UNFTR to everyone in her circle. Thanks for doing that, Betsy, and uh, keeping the flame alive. And Doug N. said today's 9-11 episode was so good. As a Canadian unfucker, you're not a Canadian unfucker. You're an uncanucker. Hearing an American voice speaking truth to power about the U.S. role in creating our modern world is refreshing and bracing. Carla H. said, hiya, love the podcast and the swearing. Fuck yeah, Carla, you're welcome. Jeff, now Jeff you might know is P. Slippery, and we love P. Slip over here at UNFTR. P. Slippery says uh, that he makes everybody who gets into his car listen to at least one episode. Uh, but he also did say that, man, it gets to be a lot and uh, some depressing shit in the last few weeks. It doesn't seem to be able to escape all of the bullshit in the media. So just on a personal note to Peace Slippery and to everybody else, producing this is actually really taxing. And this isn't a sob story. It's just that when you get into this headspace. And then we share all of this time together and then we have the back and forth afterwards and we try to communicate with everybody as much as possible. It can be depressing. We try to include some ha-has, obviously, to you know tone things down a little bit. And sometimes we try to include some good news. And we do have some other features coming up that um, I think might help alleviate some of the, uh, the depression and pain that comes along with putting this together. But I do want to acknowledge that when you're in this headspace, it can be all-consuming. I went through it years ago, and I've mentioned this before, when I was producing content around a particular subject matter and was so deep into it that I realized that I was actually depressed at the end of it because it can be all-consuming. And you think that the rest of the world either sees it too and you can't believe nobody's doing anything about it, or worse, you see that the rest of the world isn't thinking about it as constantly as you are. And the bottom line is I uh, always tell my loved ones, you got it. Some days you have to just put that bag of bricks down. It's not yours to carry, and it's okay, but it is ours to understand. And we do have a role, a shared role to play in unfucking the Republic, particularly at voting time and, you know, in the ballots, but also in the advocacy and the conversations that we have with our loved ones and with our friends and even those that have opposing viewpoints. It's okay to have political discourse. We have to stop shouting at each other. And somebody had recently mentioned that they love the mantra uh, that we have, which is to try and meet people where they are. We do want to meet people where they are. And you know what? These conversations can work. And I just want to, we'll skip around for a second. Like, I want to read a review to P. Slippery and and some other people that that, that are feeling the same way. Scott G. L., Left a Review said, I want to preface this by saying I'm aligned on the other side of the political aisle of many of your topics. That being said, this is an extremely entertaining and well put together podcast. And without getting too, quote, mouth breathy, and I'm sorry that I use that so often, some of your topics have me approaching progressive curious. The end of your Leaving Afghanistan episode should give anyone goosebumps. Thanks for the great work. So the cool part about this is we blow up, you know, mainstream Democrats all the time. We blow up the right and uh, we'll bring the progressives to task when we think that they're not staying on message. But this is a progressive show and we have our feelings about things, but our feelings are our feelings. They come from an informed perspective. We believe them to be at least more human and perhaps accurate based on historical context. And we want to bring that out to the world in a way that isn't argumentative. So peace, Slippery, when you're going down the rabbit hole, definitely don't tune in. And I mean that sincerely. Take a break from this show. Take a break from all of the bullshit that's out there because we know you're doing the work. And the more you resource and take care of your own personal health and your own personal mindset, the more prepared you're going to be to have these really important conversations because on so many issues, we're running out of time. But we'll do it together. Anyway, I appreciate the membership. I appreciate all the feedback that we're getting about these subjects. And let's just get to a couple of final notes before we leave. We got a nice review. KM from New Row gave us a five-star review. Oh, Reciprocal hokey! Woo! Also gave us a five-star review. Said can't speak enough greatness about this podcast. Park CDP found us because of Pitchfork. Gave us a five-star review. This is really great. I know we complained a few weeks ago that we weren't getting any reviews, and all of a sudden everybody left a review, so thank you.
2: I think it's because I blamed... The you did. Fuckers. You did. I,
0: I wasn't going to say it out <laughs> loud, but uh, 99 kind of chastised you guys and said, uh, you know, get on it.
2: I mean, it worked, no?
0: And you got on it. And then Oxy Ebum said, hands down, the best podcast of all time. No offense, TYT, my secret fave. And magicians,
2: BJ Hudgens
0: (laughs) I seriously have something wrong with my brain
2: I'll have to put spaces in them next time mind
0: (laughs) and BJ Hudgens said love everything about the podcast gave us five stars uh EDPP said so many things to love in this podcast came courtesy of Best of the Left gave us five stars Alex T said fucking fantastic and gave us five stars and then and then W Jarvis I like a lot of the hard content but so much time is wasted with jokes and skits that I do my best to skip through. We'll likely drop and we got three stars. So we got three stars for the content. The other two came off because W. Jarvis is a little tired of our humor. I get it. I totally get it, as a matter of fact. There's some serious motherfuckers in the world. You know what, W. Jarvis? Appreciate you leaving a review. Appreciate you listening to the show. Don't drop. Stick with us. Give us another chance. To all of the subfuckers, we're getting like a sub stack... Uh, Sign up almost hourly at this point Which is kind of crazy Kind of insane We are definitely trending You are helping us push up the ladder there Probably helps that we are free But we really do want to communicate with people there Uh, That's where again We're going to be sending out discounts We're going to be sending out notifications About updates to the site And all those type of things So you don't have to always go through show notes To figure things out Um, But man oh man Thank you for the support over at Substack And on that note A little bit of sub love Coming at you. Submarine. To tie into our submarine theme, yeah. Uh, there's two newsletters that I've been following lately. Uh, one is called Chart Book by Adam Toos We referenced that in the episode. Uh, and you can find the actual newsletter that we referenced there, obviously. And the other is from a uh, foreign affairs reporter that I've followed for probably 10 years uh, named Spencer Ackerman. We're going to list that in show notes as well. Book Love, of course, we have All Hell Breaking Loose, The Pentagon's Perspective on Climate Change by Michael T. Clare. You can check that out in bookshop.org and uh, the UNFTR store in particular. Uh, pod Love, we mentioned in the show, we've got What Next? And then you got What Next TBD. I find them both pretty good. And the other one to listen to, because this is an environmental episode, is something that we've mentioned before, uh, is Outrage and Optimism. Check out Outrage and Optimism. They're available; They should be available on pretty much every single podcast feed that you have probably one of the most expertly crafted environmental shows that's out there. And they go they go right at these issues. And they're not afraid to bring on fossil fuel companies to talk about things. They're not afraid to challenge people on the show as well. And the hosts are very, very deeply involved in the environmental movement and have been for literally decades at a very top level policy perspective. So outrage and optimism. Give it a listen. As always, Unfucking the Republic is produced and engineered by Many Faces Media.
1: All right, men, your mission tonight is to stave off the invading forces of the Tooth Fairy. SpongeBob, you watch the East. Starscream, you take the West. And Manny Faces, you take Center Patrol, since you have many faces.
0: Our show is lovingly produced, and all of the digital assets are created and curated by the wonderful, magnificent, stunning 99. You can find all of the books that we reference in booklove at bookshop.org slash shop slash UNFTR pod. You can email us at unftrpod at gmail.com you can go to our website at unftr.com
2: you can sign up for Substack at unftr.substack.com
0: and you can order our fair trade, organic shade grown, bird friendly amazing, delicious native roasted coffee at unftr.com to support the show or you can take out a membership at buymeacoffee.com slash unftr that's it, we'll see you later I
2: don't know. <laughs> That's
0: not what she says. Like. It is. She says, I don't know. Six there's a clip where of her going I oh don't yeah, she know. says it six hundred times.
2: yeah. She <laughs> apparently in the, the twenty seventeen deposition, she said Sonny's name like four hundred times.
0: Sonny. I don't know, Sonny. Sonny, <laughs> Sonny, I don't know.
2: Uh, okay.
0: On Instagram there wasn't a whole lot going on, but we see you, too bad too, who sent us a heart. It's adorable. It's either that or we're less than three. <laughs>
2: This is not a democracy, it's a chirocracy.